while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. And I am hosting, of course, the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today is Nick Brana. Nick Brana was the National Political Outreach Coordinator with the Bernie Sanders presidential campaign and is the founder and national director with the Movement for a People's Party, the national nonprofit at the helm of the rapidly growing movement for a new progressive political party in America. With more than 50,000 members and coverage in more than a hundred mainstream and independent media outlets, the Movement for a People's Party is building a coalition of labor and progressive organizations for a national viable third party for working people. Let me welcome Nick Brana to the show. How are you today, Nick? Hi, Marcello. I'm doing well, and it's great to be on. It's a pleasure to have you, really. Our paths have crossed at least closely to one another, if not intersected in the political past. But, Nick, one of the things, when I was preparing to uh, talk to you today, I read something uh, said uh, that caught my eye, really, and I want to ask you about it. It said, all kinds and levels of organizations in America have a mission statement, but America does not have a mission statement. And I was just wondering, isn't the Constitution America's mission statement? Uh, I don't think so. This is something that we, as we deliberated as our, with our membership mm-hmm. uh, back in February when we passed our platform. And what you mentioned, the idea of an American mission statement is in the preamble to our platform that we passed. And if you were to ask, I think most people in the United States, if we had a kind of mission statement, I don't think that most people would say that, that we do. It needs to be something that gives us a direction, something that we adhere to. And I don't think that the Constitution is, is really serving that role now. And it needs to be something clear, too, which, as we did it, is rooted in improving and maximizing human well-being. Very good. I knew you were going to say that. But I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask the question the way I did because I know that you are about 
making things better for everyone. How's that for a good blanket statement? So, so tell us then, um, in so many words that you choose, what is the mission statement of MPP? Well, our mission statement is to create a major new party that is progressive and that has that mission of maximizing human well-being and also that is internally democratic because as we look out to the major political parties that exist right now, they are so incredibly corrupt. They both take money, the Democrats and Republicans, from the same corporate donors, the same billionaires, and that makes it impossible for them to represent the interests of working people. We talked about both being in Philadelphia together. Mm. One of the big lessons of the Bernie Sanders campaign that, as you said, I, I, I worked on is that there is no such thing as a political candidate or a party that takes money from corporations and billionaires that is financed by the oligarchs and is simultaneously a people's party, has the people's interests at heart. That simply, those things are mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. And so we need a party that has 93% of Americans want to get money out of politics. And we need a party that listens to that and adheres to those principles. Because as long as you're tethered, chained to those corporate special interests, you are never going to be able to enact the kinds of things that Americans desperately need and want at this point, large majorities, like Medicare for all, like free public college, like addressing climate change. Mm. You're never going to be able to get movement on these things, anything beyond lip service from the parties that exist, the Democratic Party especially, until you have that fierce independence from corporate money and that corrupting influence. Well, I got to tell you, Nick, I, I agree with you absolutely, completely, totally. But I want to bring up, I want to ask two things using two different scenarios from our recent midterm elections. Number one, a good friend of mine, Leslie Coburn, ran for Congress in the 5th District. Her initial opponent dropped out of the race. I know him too, Tom Garrett, and was replaced by someone who seemed to come from, of course, starting late and whatever, and he took money from everywhere. He did awful, awful dishonest political ads. Leslie took no money from corporatism, and she lost in the first hour of the election. How do we solve what you and I believe, and so many millions of Americans believe and want, and that is a, a, a elections that are free from dirty money? How do we get there? I, I believe that it's going to take a another party that is built on that on those principles, mm. and that's why, as a foundational core principle of the movement for a people's party, that is the kind of political party that we are building, is one that is completely independent from all of that corporate money and those, those special interests. The system as it is set up right now is that the electoral system is that the Democrats and Republicans gain tremendous benefit, both as parties and individually from taking that corporate money. Mm. It creates an incentive to tell people what they want to hear during the campaign, like the Democrats are constantly talking about Medicare for all, for instance. Mm -hmm. Take an example, in California, the legislature and the governorship are controlled by Democrats. Mm. And Medicare for all has been in the party's platform in California for a decade. And all of the politicians say they support it, and yet they never pass it. Because at the end of the day, 
they're really accountable. Their real constituents are not their voters. It's the people who pay for their campaign. Yes. And that, you know, that those interests. And so the two parties are never going to undo the structural advantages that have been given to them. And if, if, if anything, they actually just exacerbate them. You know, you get things like Citizens United, the McCutcheon decision. This election that just happened now, the 2018 midterm, was the most expensive election in human history. Yes. And as a midterm election, it was more expensive than a presidential election than 2016. So that's astonishing. It really is one dollar, one vote now, as far as the two major parties are concerned. Mm. But the, op- the the silver lining in that is that because you have such a tremendous transpartisan majority in terms of the people who want to get rid of that want to get money out of politics you had you also had the phenomenon in 2016 that the most popular candidates in both parties were two candidates who weren't even members of the party before the election and who were also running as a core to their campaign on the principle of independence from big money and that was bernie sanders and donald trump Mm. and because you had ultimately because you had the democratic party block and rigged the primary against Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump was the only candidate that came out of it that was perceived as populist and not not accountable to the big money since his pitch back then people might forget now but but Trump's pitch back then was very similar to Bernie's in the independence he was saying Hillary Clinton and Jeb Bush and my other candidate you know my the the other contesting candidates are all accountable to their big money and I'm a billionaire, so I'm not. You know, I'm not taking that big money. Mm-hmm. And that was something that resonated tremendously with in the Republican Party, as it did in the Democratic Party, because that's not something that's a partisan issue, wanting to get that out. And so that is what we believe, is that it's going to take a major new party that is founded on those principles. Uh, and I can talk more about, about why we think that, but I want to let you, I want to see if you have any other questions. Well, I, I said I had two things about the midterm, and thank you. That was a great answer. And it's good to remind everyone about a lot of things about what went on in the 2016 election, but particularly uh, things that were said by Donald Trump and, and the reality of now. But I also wanted to mention, again, agreeing with you, but I, I just want to throw this out. Just so many women who are some multiple cultural backgrounds uh, and philosophies and so forth, and progressive, far more progressive than uh, I think only one uh, female Republican was elected. So are we not already on the way to achieving what you and I want to see happen with this kind of midterm results? Or do we really need, as you were saying, something totally different, separate? It's hard to see more women winning and more women of color who are so incredibly underrepresented, in particular women of color yes. in Congress uh, and, and in the Democratic and Republican parties. But the issue remains that we, we actually conducted an analysis of how the progr- what the progressive results were in the election. Mm. I was the electoral manager at Our Revolution, uh, which Bernie Sanders created to elect progressives after his campaign. Yes. And... In that capacity, it was my job to help pick the candidates, create a support plan. And so after the midterms, I did an analysis, uh, and we did as MPP one that looked at 
how have progressives actually done? And so we look, for, for example, at the congressional level, which is what most people follow the closest. Mm-hmm. There were, a, out of the four leading progressive organizations that emerged out of the Sanders campaign and inside the Democratic Party, our revolution, brand new Congress, Justice Democrats, and the Democratic Socialists of America, DSA, mm-hmm. those four groups endorsed 107 candidates for Congress. Mm. Out of those 107 candidates, 44 of them won the primary. Yes. And out of those 44, 12 won the general election. So we whittled it down very far. Mm-hmm. But even 12 sounds, okay, that's not so bad. It's only 5% of the Democratic caucus. Mm-hmm. But it goes further than that because out of those 12, five of them were already incumbents. And then another five were longtime party officials who were in line for higher office, who just who, who happened to receive an endorsement from these organizations, rather than kind of insurgent candidates who had, who had just emerged. Mm-hmm. And then when you boil it down, there were only two. There were only two candidates, progressive endorsed candidates, by all those four organizations for Congress that actually unseated establishment Democrats, incumbents, in their races. And so, while there are some there are some anecdotes and there are some stories and individual candidates mm-hmm. who are who who can be inspiring, the when you look at it at a statistical and numerical level, it's it's paltry. It's it's incredibly few. And I think that if you would have told people progressives who were going into the Democratic Party and attempting to reform it in a progressive direction two years ago after the Sanders campaign, that there would only be two members of Congress that they had unseated inside the Democratic Party in the midterm, which is the first big test of that approach. Mm -hmm. The first big test of the approach of can we take over the Democratic Party? Then I think think it would have been met by disbelief and with shock. And so that's not something that we wanted to see, but it's an unfortunate validation of the fact that you have to get out of a kind of party and a kind of politics that is blocking you. You had the phenomenon that in many states, voters were passing progressive ballot initiatives Mm -hmm. at the same time that progressive candidates were losing. And so the question becomes, how can that be if they support these progressive issues then? And it's the fact that the party is such a toxic label at this point. It is viewed so negatively. It is at its lowest favorability in in more than a a quarter century right now Mm -hmm. that people want a kind of change that is proportionate to the problems that they face in their lives. And working around the edges inside the Democratic Party does not live up to that. Okay, I um, I have so many <laughs> have so many questions I want to ask you, but maybe we should, let's um, let's take a short break and come back because uh, you've really um, well you've opened up a whole uh, new area of questions that I want to ask. We are talking with Nick Brana, who is our guest today. And he is the founder and national director with the Movement for a People's Party. 
a viable national third party of progressive candidates. So uh, let us um, let us take a break. This is fantastic. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now enjoy Watchfire Music featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton singing Tear Down the House from Is Anybody Listening? Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio program. My guest today is Nick Brana. Nick Brana is the founder and national director with the Movement for a People's Party, MPP, the national nonprofit at the helm of the rapidly growing movement for a new progressive political party, a third party, an independent party. In the United States of America, I don't think uh, what what Nick is describing hasn't been achieved since Teddy Roosevelt's Bull Moose Party uh, a uh, century ago. So, Nick, as we were chatting in between segments, I wanted to ask you: you have spoken quite a bit today about how the Democratic Party needs a, a rebirth, or, a, or or rather, it needs to be replaced, maybe you're saying even. I'm not putting words in your mouth. You can answer it for yourself. But I hear well-meaning, solid, reasonable rationale for what's best, and as you guys put it, the well-being of all humanity, especially in perhaps Americans, you know, Medicare for all, etc., all of which I agree. But why are we taking on the, it, it sounds like the we're becoming antagonists, including myself in that, to the Democratic Party, but giving the Republican Party a pass. Correct me, please. Well, the Democratic and the Republican Party, so glad you bring that up, because the two of them are indistinguishable in, in my view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not to say that there's no difference politically between them, but it means that with neither one are you going to be able to keep are you going to be able to keep jobs in, in the United States from being taken by trade treaties? Neither one is going to address the climate change. Neither one is going to provide 
health care that is affordable and to, to the level that any, that every other developed country in the United States does, which has a more socialized system of health care. And no party is going to take care of students mm-hmm. in my generation. Yes. Friends of mine who are burdened by tens of thousands of dollars in debt. So the choice that you face between the Democratic and the Republican Party is nowhere near doesn't put on the table the things that Americans need mm-hmm. in order to be able to, to survive and, and live, you know, at a, at a bare minimum level, let alone the level at which the, the citizens of other Western democracies do. In Europe, for example, where things like free public college and Medicare for all are, are normative. Mm-hmm. And so it is the, it, the, the two parties are the problem. It also, it's also essential to see, to, to recognize, I think, that the two parties only exist because of one another. Uh, and they work, they work symbiotically. They do not work in opposition to one another. Mm. The things that the Republican Party does are enabled by the fact that the Democrats, each time we get a Democratic administration, rather than reversing the, po- the anti-worker policies that we get, and the plutocratic policies that we get from the Republican Party. Instead, they normalize those policies. It took a Democrat, for example, to, in the end, pass NAFTA. Bill Clinton, who picked it up from where Bush left off. Mm-hmm. It was Barack Obama who expanded the wars that he received from Bush after campaigning on ending them. It was Barack Obama who also bailed out the banks after Bill Clinton deregulated them in the first place. Mm. And so there is... The Democrats, in a way, what they do is more deceptive than what the Republicans do. In a way, the Republicans are very openly aligned with big business Mm -hmm. against the interests of working people, against the interests of unions, whereas the Democrats pretend to be in favor of those organizations. They pretend to be in favor of unions, but they never pass the Employee Free Choice Act. They always are sitting by watching the Republicans instead dismantling dismantling unions and also knocking people off the voter rolls, as we saw. Mm. The Democrats said nothing about all those people who were being knocked off the voter rolls until after the election. And so time and time again, we see them not working in opposition, but working together on corporate projects in order to marginalize working people and make people's lives more difficult. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you and your independent third party is a collaboration for political trade union and community activists from different political backgrounds. What are your main, uh, I know you, you say you have two main intertwined objectives for this new independent party. What are they? Where do we go the from here? The perspective that we are working towards is that in order to build an alliance for a new party, which the American people, I should have said at this point, are very much calling for, mm-hmm. you have a, for the past five years, you've had a majority of Americans who are calling for an independent party, Yes, uh, who are calling for a new party. Even a majority, these statistics are coming from Gallup, 
even a majority of Democrats, when they ask people, people who don't identify as independent, they ask Democrats, but they ask Republicans, even a majority of them say that we need a major new party. You also have the fact that there's been a tremendous movement towards independent politics in the past 15 years where you've had, now we're up to the point where independents comprise 45% of the country. Mm-hmm. And so they are the, the largest political kind of identification in the country. Democrats and Republicans are about 27% each of Americans. Mm-hmm. And this is a long, long trend that has been building towards more independence, a greater desire for a third party, and that is coming together in, in movements such as ours, in, in the movement for a people's party to actually build that as what it's going to take to to separate from corporate politics. Mm-hmm. Even when I was in college, I remember telling people, we need at least three different parties because because you're just bouncing back and forth. And we certainly have a swinging pendulum uh, in America. It's like whoever was the last to offend us, we vote against. But but I, you know, but we do need we need three parties for any number of reasons. So there, like any odd number breaks the tie in anything. We we have to have more choice. Now you are you plan on promoting an independent labor community candidate beginning as early as twenty nineteen. Right. Yes. So our speaking about our program and our two intertwined objectives. Mm-hmm. We believe that an independent party is going to be a project of organized labor, of unions, and of social movements coming together to build this major new party that it is that the, that the large American majority of Americans now are calling for. And so in building that partnership with labor, what we're looking to do is run independent candidates to begin with in municipalities, independent candidates that are elected from their labor community assemblies that are built in different cities, and that those candidates would begin to form the framework and the foundation for an independent labor-based party in the United States. And our second objective for our labor community campaign for an independent party is that we also bring together a coalition of unions and progressive organizations and organizations that that work for the interests of of human rights and the betterment of of people's lives that those organizations come together to form a what's called the labor party advocates as well which is a formal coalition of unions and community groups in that that recruits many more unions and build that that alliance to launch a labor-based party. Hmm. A labor-based party. That's a phrase that can catch in one's craw. Explain to me how we are independent if we are answerable to any any uh, organization, be it a labor union. I mean, I I belong to. Uh, unions, and I've been very fortunate, two in, in particular, so I'll mention them, AFTRA and SAG, have always taken excellent care of me, and I believe in the the collaboration of collective bargaining, And but if we have a political party that is basically a labor 
political party is that independent? The the key is that it be rooted in working people and institutions that are accountable to working people. Mm. And unions are the institutions that we have now that check the power of capital in corporations. That's true. And so the the fact that we have 15 million workers in the United States who are unionized and unions also spend spend more than $100 million on elections mm. every single cycle, that is a tremendous amount of resource. Uh, though, though just a fraction of that would be capable of building a much larger party than the Democratic or the Republican Party, mm. uh, given how many people are looking for that kind of alternative. And so that, the, that fact that unions have stood for working people and have represented their interests, you know, sometimes unions themselves have not been as representative of the members, of course, and that's an issue. Mm-hmm. But by and large, they are the organizations that are checking the power of the bosses to simply derail people in their wages, to keep them at working in unsafe conditions, to keep them working without benefits. The things that we see now, all of the different ways in which in which employers exploit their their employees. And so that is why we believe that they have to be a, an essential part of the process of building a new party. And being accountable to, you know, to a, an, an organization isn't, I think, necessarily a bad thing, as long as that organization is itself democratic and accountable to its membership mm-hmm. uh, and has the interest of working people at heart. And, and you know, another thing that is, is certainly obvious in our past, way past history and recent history, is that if you watch the, the people who claim to be doing so much for business, one of the first targets they have to, to diminish are labor unions. Because, as you say, as we both, yeah. again, as I know too as well, the labor union is the greatest check on Wall Street of running rampant, and for that matter, politics. Okay, well, you have given us a lot to talk about. You've made it very clear that uh, you feel there's no, if, if at all, minor differences between the Democratic and Republican Party, probably not enough to satisfy the future. And the future belongs to young people who are looking for something different than what I grew up with. And I, I applaud that. I'm looking for it, too. To get out from under this one-party, corporate-party sort of system, give us some reason to go, okay, you're the guy, and what MPP is the way we need to go. Who's endorsing you? Who agrees with you? And tell us why this is the now time to take this course. Well, as the Movement for a People's Party, we have more than 50,000 members Mm -hmm. across the country, and they're organizing locally. They're organizing in in order to pass progressive ballot initiatives, in order to provide community service as well. And in terms of who is supporting us, I'm glad you asked that as well because we have some. We've built a very impressive coalition mm-hmm. uh, of people who want to see an independent party. And so, for example, Dr. Cornell West, the Bernie Sanders surrogate, and Chris Hedges, 
Yes. Uh, the two of them are endorsers uh, of ours and supporters of ours, of our campaign. And as well, we have, we, we were just endorsed by the Farm Labor Organizing Committee, and mm. that is 23,000 mostly Latino farm workers in the Midwest and in North Carolina uh, as a union who has signed on to building an independent party and also the Teamsters Local 808 in, and this is in Long Island City, in Crystal Vera, who's secretary treasurer as well, mm. and a, a, a powerful black leader in Long Island City of that union. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we have Nancy Woolforth, who was an executive committee member of the AFL-CIO. Mm-hmm. She's with us as well. And we have also more, we, we have hundreds who are signed up more than 700 who are signed up with the labor community campaign in and of itself. And so we've built up to a tremendous level of endorsement. And our process now is reaching out to all of those in labor for more, for more union support, essentially, because that's what we need to continue building, continue building that out. And I, I, there's so many others I could mention. Jimmy Dore, for example, Ron Placone and Graham Elwood, mm. uh, who have become very big progressive voices as well, and Eleanor Goldfield, Donna DeWitt as well, who is also an AFL-CIO Executive Council member. And so it's a great coming together and planting of the flag inside the labor movement, saying that this is where we can get together, all of us who agree that we need an independent alternative. Excellent. Well, we're going to have to go soon, Nick. Give us your website and Facebook and Twitter, how we can reach out and and become involved and find out more about uh, MPP and you. Certainly. So you can find us at foreapeoplesparty.org, and you can join us there. You can see where it is that we're working. You can sign up to volunteer. You can make a contribution if you're so inclined. We are powered by all small dollar working class contributions, mm-hmm. uh, very much like Bernie Sanders' campaign was. And so you can come find out about us there for a people's party.org and join the movement for an independent alternative. Excellent. And that first website is for a, so it's F O R A, people's party.org. Two last questions. One is, is it your expectation that Bernie Sanders will run in 2020? I do believe that he will run as a Democrat. And I believe, again, my my job on the Sanders campaign was as uh, the national political outreach coordinator. So it was my job to lobby the superdelegates for him. And that gave me a very intimate view of the Democratic Party. And it taught me that the Democratic Party will block him again. Mm. Uh, in in twenty in twenty twenty inside the the primary, and in fact they were kind of caught off guard by his run in twenty sixteen, but now they have laid meticulous preparations to do so. Ah. Okay, my last question, I promise, is what's the takeaway for us? What what do you want us to glean from this conversation for for twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, and for America? To me, it is that we are capable of doing so much more than we're doing right now. We 
there's been this incredible explosion of productivity and advancement in technology in recent decades that is not reflecting itself in the way that we live. We could live in much better conditions, truly. The, if you average out the income in the United States, every family, of, it comes out to $200,000 per family of four. Mm. And that, so the, the, the problem is not that our country is not wealthy enough or that we're, or the economy is not growing fast enough. It's a problem of distribution. It's yes. a problem of where the resources are going. It can be growing as fast you know, as you want, but if all of the resources are being concentrated in the top 1%, and in the United States, you have this incredible phenomenon where there's a single family now who has more wealth than the bottom half of Americans, yes. and that's the, the, the Walton family, then it doesn't matter how quickly you're growing. It doesn't matter how much you're working. So mm. the problem is not that people are not working hard. The problem is the, the rules and the structures under which we're operating under. Technology and the benefits of science and every and, and human ingenuity are not the proprietary property of any single corporation or any single family or any single class or the one percent. It belongs to all of us, yes. and we can do so much better than we're doing right now. But it's going to take the the old institutions, the dinosaur parties of the Cold War. Of, of the 20th century are not up to that task. They are not built for that. Mm-hmm. And so as so many others are doing in countries abroad and breaking through and having success, they are having success by building their own parties, which are dislodging and replacing establishment parties that have existed for decades. And we can do the same here in the United States. We can see that level of success, but it's going to take the same approach. We're going to have to declare our independence from corporate-funded politics and from the establishment parties that enforce this order and dare to create something new. Amen to that. We have been talking to Nick Brana, who is the founder and national director with the Movement for a People's Party the national nonprofit at the helm of the rapidly growing movement for a new progressive political party, independent party, third party in America. And Nick, I have to say, you have given us all a light on which to shine a better future, one where we're thinking for ourselves instead of following our, following our past mistakes. Thank you so very much, Nick, for being on the show We appreciate it, and uh, as I've said to you before, I long to uh, meet you again and talk to you about the future and work with you. So all our best to you and your organization. Thank you so much for being on today. Thanks for having me, Marcello. It's been an honor, and I look forward to the next time. You got it. Bye now. Bye-bye. Welcome to the Indy Film Minute. In 2006, an inconvenient truth told us that global warming was upon us, that it was caused by the actions of mankind, and that the consequences would be dire if we took no action. Ten years later, broad predictions have coalesced into horrific specifics, and climate change accelerates. Really? Who says so? Important, trustworthy people say so. 
Check out the eye-opening documentary, The Age of Consequences. These aren't our simultaneously lauded and vilified scientists talking, but important and thoughtful world leaders. Those who bear frontline burden. They must plan for our survival. One of the first countries to go underwater will be Bangladesh. This will be a flashpoint. Did you know there is already a fence surrounding the entire country for controlling the inevitable mass migration? Many of the biggest crises of our times, Syria, the Sudan, the failed Arab Spring, and others, are already tied to climate change. With shocking imagery driving their points home, the predictions of these world leaders are grounded in grim reality. We at the Indie Film Minute are not political animals. We only watch movies and bring your attention to the good ones. This one is a powerful eye-opener. Watch it. You'll see. The Age of Consequences. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. America. What stinks and what doesn't. One of the things the Trump have in common with the historical stink of despots, tyrants, and demagogues is the failure to learn from the past. All glory gained by manipulation of the masses is fleeting, inviting an equal opposite reaction to lock her up. What stinks is a military on American soil aiding and abetting any executive branch to exclusively create law a president determined to fight forest fires by raking leaves, and a Senate leader whose faith in his assumption that Southern conservatives are easily duped is so firmly grounded he unabashedly exhales the foul air of denying a president his constitutional right to appoint a Supreme Court justice. Sometimes truth must hurt before we rise from the stink clenching a swinging pendulum, recognizing life and lives, are our constant balancing act between good and evil. For example, Abraham Lincoln, November 19, 1863, versus Jim Jones, November 18, 1978, and the author of our Declaration of Independence, also selling his darker children. Often we act out by tipping life's scale from home of the brave glory to aromatic delusions of grandeur, from honoring those who delivered on greater love hath no man to passing on standing up for veterans on hallowed ground. But the wave of reason exposes the right's treason. Some presidents delegate government's raison d'etre to preserve, protect, and defend to money men. But nothing stinks like the Wall Street puts. A plot by super-wealthy right-wing bankers and corporatists conspiring to enable Wall Street and the Pentagon to form a more perfect union, considering fascism, communism, and Nazism as viable solutions to 1933 Hoovervilles. Although Russians have invaded our electoral process on behalf of an administration comfortable with suppressing voting privileges, alienating NATO allies, and denying refugee asylum, all while attempting to placate a Turkish dictator by offering him his long-time political clerical foe as a consolation prize for forgiving a Saudi hit on a U.S. resident. 
Fortunately, our free press is beginning to rediscover the cost of their freedom is investigative reporting, because the only change that changes anything is change we make in ourselves. Reagan made a deal with Iran not to release American prisoners so he could defeat Carter, just as Nixon colluded to prevent LBJ from getting to Vietnam's to talk peace. Bush-Cheney created the Great Recession, while Obama bailed out their too-big-to-fail banker cohorts. Middle America is still paying the tab. Mega-donors Anna Chenault and Miriam Adelson deposited America in the outhouses of Richard Nixon and Donald Trump. Former World Patent Marketing CEO Matt Whitaker ensconced in FBI investigations into his alleged scams and threats with potentially serious civil or criminal consequences, smells like perfect sewage treatment plant for obstruction of justice. Perhaps our savory 2018 sweet was simultaneously voting for progressive issues and liberal Democrats, despite Georgia's candidate who purged the voting power of more than a million citizens now imbibing its state mansion with a smell of rot that resembles a festering cyst. What saves America from the prejudicial aromatic Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith welcoming a front-row seat to a public hanging? adding, maybe we want to make it just a little more difficult for those liberal folks from those other schools to vote. What saves America? Her now facing the fragrance of a justice-for-all runoff without Walmart. America's breath of fresh air is the pungent maneuvering of repetitious perversion of justice puncturing America is easily avoidable. Once we concede to our mirrors, we who buy stocks in the puppets of corporate vampires are what stinks America most. It's not just corporatism, but corporate individuals whose acceleration from a soaring personal bottom line is more delicious standing on the backs of customers racing on Black Friday to overconsume. It's not just the trumped, but predatory pickpockets polluting patriotism with Roger Stone and unaffordable health care. Life is more than the prize of one electoral victory. It is the journey waking us each day. For victory is not just for the swift, the new, or the young. Victory, like honor, comes from learning and sharing in a refreshing marriage embracing the reason that willingly blossoms when the dirt of bullying bigotry, nepotistic hypocrisy, and prejudicial obstruction are shaken like dust from our roots. With freedom of choice, every new dawn invites every American into the arena, empowered by the courage of Admiral McRaven, tenacity of Stacey Abrams, determination of Beto O'Rourke, resilience of John J. Whalen, vigilance of Laura Hughes, and the common sense to not throw out experience with the soiled water. Rejecting the repugnant waste of being a fractured people, let us, on the shoulders of liberty, recast our national aura purging all pairings of poisonous stink, seizing instead daily moments of vision as America's most heroic bouquet. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.
Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the Donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world.